I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. Remember the historic Afghan city of Bamiyan? In March of 2001, the Taliban blew up two enormous Buddha statues there. Well, believe it or not, before that happened, people had been living in caves behind those Buddhas. We'll hear more about that in a moment from Afghan author Kais Akbar Omar. He's written a memoir about his tumultuous youth in Afghanistan. It's called A Fort of Nine Towers. It begins in Kabul, where Omar spent some idyllic childhood years growing up with 25 cousins within his grandfather's lush-walled estate. But when the rockets of rival Mujahideen factions began falling nearby... Omar, his parents, little sisters and baby brother, took to the road in a beat-up jalopy. They sought refuge in some unusual places, in an old fort and with camel and sheep herders, and, as Omar recalls, in Bamiyan. Bamiyan is a valley. It's all mountain and uh, quite a few caves. I don't know how many. So when we went there, we were trying to escape Afghanistan to cross the border to either Uzbekistan or Tajikistan or Turkmenistan. But wherever we went, war was chasing us. So you were a kid. Uh, was this the first time you'd ever seen statues in your life? Uh, well, uh, before that, I've seen it in my uh, textbook in a school. And I hear about it often from my grandfather who used to go there. With uh, He was a herder. Uh, I mean, his family was a herders. And, and they used to take their herds in and, and, and springtime to feed their, like thousands of sheep and camel. So there you are after this long road trip with your family. You get to Bamiyan. You're a kid climbing those stairs up the statues. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Suddenly I was seeing this big, giant thing carved in the wall. It was really amazing to see that thing. The small one is like 150 feet tall. Feet, the exactly. The bigger yeah. one is what? The big, bigger one is like 52 meters tall, so it is like uh, only six foot taller than Slightly the small. Than yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And standing here in front of these statues that I saw in my textbooks or uh, the, the photos that I've seen in Kabul, and here I'm standing, and it is like as if the, the statue is going to walk out. And it is so big. And, and, and then my father said, do you want to climb the statues? And my and we said, can we climb that? And he said, yeah. It has the stairs that curved inside the mountain that goes all the way to the shoulder, to the head, to the rest of the body. We climbed all the way to the top. By the time we got to the, to the head of the Buddha, we were all sweaty. But the view from there was... I was going to say the view must have been extraordinary. Wow. From up there, you see the whole valley. It is so beautiful, green, and the weather is so nice and clear and, and a spectacular view. You could almost be confused for having been on a fun family vacation. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> so we were trying to find a way to get away from war and escape the country. And it was every day was struggle for my parents to feed us, to clothe us, to keep us warm and not, uh, you know, not get sick. So that's a lot of work for parents. But as a kid, my sister and I, we had the most adventurous time of our life. So there you are taking in this incredible view from the top of the Buddha. And then you find just behind the head of the Buddha, there's a cave as big as a living room. Well, uh, describe this space. Yeah. So as soon as we walk into the cave, my father said, this is a very nice space. What do you think? Uh, he looked at my mother and my mother said, yeah, it is nice. And he said, we, we're going to live here. And my mother just, you know, gave her one of those looks, which we couldn't <laughs> tell whether she was happy or not. And we didn't know either about my father, whether he was making jokes because he would make jokes like that. And my, and my father said, well, I don't have that much money. There is not any hotel, so we can uh, go and rent one and live there. And uh, we are stuck here until we hear that Mazar is safe, so we can go there, which is bordering with Turkmenistan, and then we go to Uzbekistan. So my mother just didn't know, and then he looked at us, uh, my father, said, uh, what do you think, kids? And we all said, oh, we love it, because the view was <laughs> so beautiful. And then he said, well, he crunched on his knees, and he said, 
come here. So we all stood in a line in front of him. And he said, but I have rules. Rule number one, when you climb the stairs, be very careful. Don't fall down. Rule number two, everyone who's older should look after the one who's younger. And then he looked at everybody and said, that's all. Uh, two rules. That's two not rules. too bad. Yeah. Not, <laughs> so we all loved it. And we all said, oh, that's, that's very nice. So we ended up living there for two, over two months. Over two months and until it was not safe anymore. Was there anybody else living in the cave before you uh, got there? I mean, no. or did this idea just pop into your dad's head? There were some families uh, living in the caves very below, down below, not so high up on the, on the top. And, and then we shared meal with each other when we cooked kebab or something that smelled really good. So we took a plate to three neighbors and other caves. And then when they made something really delicious, they did the same thing for us. And every day I had to go and play, find new kids in other caves and play with them, play a marble or fly kites or run on the mountains. And, and it, just, just, it was just beautiful. Wow. It was beautiful, yeah. I mean, how did you get supplies? How did you get furniture up these uh, oh. these ladders and these steep stairways? Yeah. Well, speaking of furniture, there's no such a thing there as furniture. What did you sleep on? My father just bought a few mattresses and a few blankets and quilts from the local bazaar. Uh, so we just bought that and we stitched them all together. And then we all slept together. So my, my parents slept in the middle and my sister behind my mother and I slept behind my, my father. And we had one big, big blanket on top of us. And that's how we slept. For your parents, this was survival until the next step of the journey. For you, did, did it match up to the fun that you were expecting it to be living in this cave for two months? Uh, it was. You know, you look up to your parents that they will provide all the food. That's all you need. And the rest of the time, you just run from one cave to the next cave, try to have fun with all the other kids and try climbing the mountains and, you know, just having a good time. Now, your family is Pashtun, as you said, and yet you were treated really well in Bamiyan by the, the Hazaras, the yeah. dominant group there. Did, did you expect that? After like a month, uh, people were very, very nice and kind to us. And I prayed in the mosque with them, even though we, they were Shias and we are Sunni and we have totally different mosques like Protestant and Catholics. We prayed the way we prayed. They prayed the way they prayed. And uh, it was very nice. And everybody knew us. We knew everybody else and people in, the, in, in other caves. You know, it was like a family. It was really, I mean, that's Afghanistan. Everywhere you go, you find your third, fourth, fifth or tenth cousin. Yeah. Why did you leave eventually? Oh. Even though it was very, very cold, we, we, could, we could manage to survive. But the war was coming towards Bamiyan. And we hear that from the local people who travel between, uh, you know, one province to another province. And a, a day or two later, you hear this from BBC World Service, which was our own uh, source of information. It was like a compass for us in the middle of the mountains, guiding us to which direction to go to be safe. And when we hear that, we had to get out of Bamiyan. Yeah. Now, the morning your family got in the car to leave uh, for Kunduz, uh, that was the last time you would see the statues of Buddha. What were you feeling leaving uh, them? I just stood in front of the statue feeling like, I leave this big thing here. What will happen to it? Uh, because it is really cold here. But I kept looking at it and I said, no, I don't think he minds really cold or warm weather or hot weather. He, he, it has been standing here for uh, over 2,000 years, uh, and then, it, yeah, it will stand here for another 2,000 years, so I'll have a chance to come back and see it, but that never happened, so. Kais, what was your reaction when you heard uh, the Buddhas had been destroyed by the Taliban? It was like I was, 10 I was, years later. I, so. was, I was heartbroken. I, uh, when, when, when I hear that, I just couldn't believe it since we did not have a TV, we didn't see that. Uh, I didn't know what was it, but I could imagine what happened to it. I still have in Kabul uh, photos of the Buddha. So I went through them all over again, just seeing like, okay, now it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah.
once I lived in the head of the Buddha, and now it lives inside mine. Kais Akbar Omar's memoir is called A Fort of Nine Towers. You can see a video of him reading a passage about his unconventional parents at theworld.org. By the way, Omar made it safely out of Afghanistan. He now lives in Boston.